Hi, my name is Kat. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 41, 11 through 13. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who war wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Randy Lynn, and the New Testament reading is found in Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Hi, good morning. My name is Cor. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? <clears throat> Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word to us today. We ask by your Holy Spirit that you would breathe into our spirits today, into our hearts today. God, make us come alive to you. Conform us to the image of your Son. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you on this wonderful November day. Um, we have been in a series through the book of Philippians called Complete Joy, and one of the themes from the very beginning of this letter to the end is Paul talking about his friendships and talking about his deep companions and partners in ministry and them being a rich and consistent source of joy for him. And so it's totally, uh, it, it's absolutely appropriate and perfect this morning that I get to introduce you to one of my deepest, closest, and oldest friends, oldest because he is also a little bit older than me, and, uh, 
Uh, his name is Pastor Aaron Stern. Now, I, before, you, before you break into raucous applause, which you absolutely should do, I just want to tell you a little bit about Aaron. He grew up in Colorado Springs, went away to uh, Oral Roberts University. We kind of knew each other there, but he was, uh, again, ahead of me by a few years. And then, but we mo both moved out to Colorado Springs together in the summer of 2000, both to come on staff at New Life Church during a hiring freeze. And um, he, yeah, wait for it. There it is. Okay. And, uh, and, and shortly into that, that year, that fall, Aaron began to take over a college ministry at New Life called The Mill. Anyone here who used to go to The Mill? Okay, there you go. I love that. And, uh, and Aaron was like, I need a worship leader. So he came and found me, the apprentice that I was to the worship pastor. And he said, Glenn, come on, help me lead a worship. Uh, would you lead worship for me and help me lead this college ministry? And so we began together, led the first two small groups that were uh, part of the mill, and then watched under his leadership, watched the mill just explode and thrive. And then in late 2011, God began to call Aaron and his wife, Jossie, and their four boys to plant a church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, they started... Uh, in February of 2012, and here we are seven and a half years later, they have about 2,000 people coming every Sunday, uh, lots and lots of students and young people getting saved. It's a remarkable work, two campuses, but Aaron and I have stayed in, in close relationship over the years, and I've never had him speak at New Life Downtown. And so this is the much-anticipated, long-awaited arrival of one of my dearest friends. Please welcome Pastor Aaron Stern. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So great to be here. And uh, I just got to say this about Glenn, that uh, not only have we been uh, really, really close friends and so grateful for the longevity and faithfulness of our friendship, um, but I respect him so deeply as a pastor. And uh, I just, if you don't know this already, you have an incredible pastor here at New Life Downtown. I mean, unbelievable. And... And, and if you're maybe new here today uh, and you're trying to decide, is this our church home, can I just like make that process really short? Because if I lived in Colorado Springs, I would come here and because of Glenn's leadership, his pastoral wisdom, and the ways in which he leads not only uh, this church, but also his family and his own life. And so I'm so grateful for you, and so thank you for having me here today. So as Glenn mentioned, uh, we moved to Fort Collins uh, in late 2011 to launch Mill City Church in early 2012. And, and, and so this scripture uh, that was read just a little bit ago as a, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, uh, is, 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 I love that passage of scripture, always have. And I've not necessarily been the worrying type. Uh, I, I kind of love adventure, love doing things. Glenn's the worrying type, really, actually. Uh, if there was a snow in the forecast, Glenn would ask me to come and pick him up and drive him somewhere because he was a little worried about the roads. And, and, and so, so, so I asked, I'm not the worrying type. But I found myself in 2011 and 2012 not anxious about nothing. I was anxious about everything. And it was... It was one of those things that I did not, I did not think myself into the pit. I woke, my, woke up one day in the pit. And I found myself waking up just about every morning 
3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, didn't matter really what time I went to bed, I would wake up. And, and I thought at first, certainly it's just the fact that we've got a, a church that we're trying to launch. There's a lot going on, a lot to keep track of. So I thought I just need to put a little pad of paper next to my bed and I'll write down the little things just to get them out of my brain and then I can go back to sleep. And it did not work. And I found myself knowing that God led us, the process of God leading us from Colorado Springs, from New Life Church, from a place that I loved and moving away from close friends and family was absolutely spirit-led. We knew that God was leading us. And here I found myself following God and anxious about everything, which which I thought, oh, I made a, made a mistake. We chose the wrong city. There's, where, where did I miss this? What was going on? And, and I found myself like, in an unfamiliar territory. And certainly, uh, at first, things, and throughout the years, things have looked very successful. Things have gone well. And we started in 2012. We had about 400 people. And I, by this time, a couple of, a couple of people, or a couple of, uh, a couple of months in, and I was, I was not sleeping well and, and, and just anxious. Felt like I had a cloud over my head, worried about everything. And I thought, okay, I just need to get to launch, and we just need to, like, start, and that'll, you know, I just need to get over this early season. And 400 people on the first day, which is amazing, but I wasn't worried about the first day. I was worried about every day after that. Because all my friends drove up from Colorado Springs, and I knew they weren't going to keep doing that. <laughs> and so for the next three months, we grew the church from 400 to 150. <laughs> and I mean, we were counting pregnant people as two. You know, I mean, it was, we're like, oh, where are we at? And we did not know where the bottom was. And over the course of the next several months, it started to trend back up again. And and, and it stabilized, but the anxiety and the anxiousness and the worry did not leave. And so here I'm reading, do not be anxious about anything, or the words of Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow, or, or through, all throughout the scripture, do not be afraid, a very, very consistent instruction. And I'm thinking, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not trying to be anxious. I'm trying to not be anxious. I so badly wanted, I would wake up some mornings, uh, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, hands sweating, heart pounding, sometimes fingers tingling and just zzzz. And I, I, I thought, I don't know what to do about this. And, and you, so then you try to go back to sleep and then you don't go back to sleep and then you worry about not sleeping because you didn't go to sleep. And then you're, I mean, it's this maddening cycle. And especially, well, in the first year, I probably slept well less than five times in one year. And just all of this swirling, and people would ask me, are you having fun? <laughs> no, I'm not having fun. I have never wanted to work at Home Depot so much in my life. <laughs> and yet I knew God called us. And I couldn't sleep. And we're living in an age where more and more people are on sleeping aids, more and more people are sleepless, more and more people uh, going on to some sort of anxiety medication. And I want to say, as Glenn mentioned last week, I want to say that there is a wide, wide spectrum of worry and anxiety and panic attacks and all of those things. And the, the, the aspect that Paul is addressing in, four, for, in Philippians chapter 4 
is worry and the things that grip us when we worry about tomorrow. And so there is without a doubt the need for, an ongoing need for possible medication or therapists, and I believe in all of those things, and it's very, very important. But we have a rising epidemic in our country that is very, very much attached to worry. And so here I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to, I, I, I love God, I don't want to be anxious, so God, how do I not be anxious? And so I was diving into Philippians 4 here and, and like, okay, God, what do, you, what do you have for me here? I, I'm trying to think positively. And that's a good thing. But thinking positively was not helping me to get out from underneath this cloud. And so I just want to share a little bit of my journey over the past seven to eight years and what that has looked like and maybe uh, an aspect of this journey and the ways in which I experienced the God's leading through this and the engagement of Philippians 4, 6, and 7 and other scriptures throughout uh, the Bible have been so helpful for me and maybe will be helpful for you. Philippians 4, verse 6 in the message says, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. I love that in this passage of Scripture, God doesn't say, oh, what you're worrying about is so dumb. God validates the things that you are concerned about. He cares about and is aware of the things that are on your mind. But notice how when he says, don't be anxious about anything he doesn't say, but think about everything. Or analyze everything. Or talk to all your friends about everything. Or post on social media the things that you are worried about. Or post a positive image of what you hope for on social media in order to deal with this. Or go get another glass of wine. Or binge on Netflix. Or that is not what he says. Don't be anxious about anything but numb everything. Don't be anxious about everything but escape from everything. No, he says pray about everything. In other words, you've got this energy that's in you that's going towards worry. I just want you to transfer the energy. I want you to transfer the energy to prayer. Offer it to God. And so I thought, okay, God, I've been talking to everybody. I've been talking to myself, and I've been talking to my wife, and I've been talking, and I've been thinking, and I'm trying to analyze, and I'm trying to take this tip and that technique. And I, but God, I am a need to offer this in a greater way to you. So I'm going to transfer my energy to prayer. But I realized something that I would say, God, we take this anxiety away, anxiety away. It takes it, help me not be anxious. And I realized I'm just like asking God to deal with the anxiousness, which is true. But, but I wonder sometimes if we think we're fighting anxiousness when actually there's something that's fueling the anxiousness. In other words, in other words, maybe we can drill a little deeper. That anxiousness is a, is a symptom of something deeper going on underneath. In other words, why am I anxious? What am I anxious about? For me, I was anxious about failure. I was anxious about my reputation. What are people going to think if I don't do well? What are they going to think if this doesn't go right? What, what, what does this mean for me? And how do I, how do I manage and, and come around my value and identity and how much of that? I mean, we start doing a little bit of a deep dive, and it wasn't that now I'm in the deep dive thinking about those things. It's deep dive and say, God, I'm afraid, 
And I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of what other people will think. So God, I need to offer that to you. So I want to encourage you, if you struggle with worry or anxiousness or any sort of thing that might paralyze you in some form or another, will you not just offer your anxiousness to God? Will you actually offer the things that fuel the anxiousness over to God? Name the fears. Afraid of getting hurt again. Afraid of failing. Afraid of rejection. Afraid of making the bad decision. Afraid of, of not sleeping. Afraid of getting hurt. Afraid of disappointing a friend or disappointing your parents. Afraid of letting someone down. What is it that maybe is fueling that underneath us? And not only are we encouraged to go to God in prayer, but oftentimes if we were to look at the shape of prayer in the Scriptures, we see that prayers oftentimes are sung. I love how it says in the message, let, uh, instead of worrying, pray, let petitions and praises shape your worries, shape your prayers. So I, I started thinking about the story of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas in the midnight hour, in the worst of all circumstances, talk about a lot of things to be worried about. We're in stocks. We're surrounded by guards. We're in the center of the prison. This is a bad day. And we should really be worried about tomorrow because tomorrow could be the end. And what do they do? Right in the middle of the darkest hour, they sing. So you know what I would do sometimes? Because sometimes me laying in my bed, prayer was turn into thoughts. And I could, it, was, it was tough. And so I'd get up 3 o'clock in the morning, walk out to our living room, and I'd just start singing. I'd sing in the key of midnight. Sometimes we need to sing. And it's not about, oh, I'm happy. This isn't the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. (laughs) This is us turning the energy of worry into worship. And I, in those moments, and night after night, get up, worship, get up, worship, just honoring and pointing my heart and my eyes towards God, recognize worship is a weapon. Because what happened to me in those moments and throughout those months as worship started to plant itself in my heart in place of those worries was that I realized you cannot think your way through everything, but you can worship your way through anything. Because you can think about it, and maybe there are some things you need to adjust. But God is saying, I love the book of Job. Job loses everything. And what's the, one of the, what is the first thing that he does? He mourns. He tears his clothes, absolutely. But he says he got on his knees and he worshiped. Worship through anything and everything. And I started to get some relief. It wasn't an overnight type of thing. It's not a, oh, come on, just pray about it and get over it. This was a, a slow journey. And so I started to experience relief, but it wasn't like, okay, everything's great, everything's good. Some nights would be better than others. Some nights would be worse than others. And I thought, this I don't think is what the Scripture is leading us towards. I don't think that the Apostle Paul is saying don't be anxious because somehow it's just a nice idea. Like, this can be a reality. And so I felt like I was making movement, but, but knew that I wasn't out. And I've been talking to my wife, and my wife said, I think you should share this with some other people. I thought, no, thank you. 
I'm supposed to be leading this church. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm supposed to be the one that's like, knows what's up. And I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm not even sure that I'm going to, like, can keep it together, let alone keep this whole thing together. But I have learned over the years that my wife oftentimes sounds like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> or the Holy Spirit oftentimes sounds like my wife. And I said, you know, I thought about it for a little while. I thought, you're right. And so I went to a, a group of some of our leaders, and I, I said, I just need to tell you that I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time with worry, and I described some of the things that were going on. And I thought, this is, this is it. If it wasn't, wasn't going to land, if it wasn't going to go right, this is the end. I'm, I, this feels like sabotage. And one of the, my leaders said, Aaron, I just want you to know that I actually respect you more. I just respect you for coming and sharing. We're with you. And it, it, it strikes something in the message and the cultural narrative yeah. of our day yeah. that says, pull it up by your bootstraps. Right. Get over it and move on. You have got to show that you can do it, especially if you're in a position of leadership. Now, we have a lot of talk in our day about vulnerability. It's kind of a, a buzzword these days. And I wonder sometimes, though, if we get transparency and vulnerability mixed up. Transparency is where we say we, we, we bring somebody to the window to look into our hearts and into our lives and say, look at that. I just want to show you. Vulnerability is opening the front door and saying, yeah, I need you to come in. I need some help. Right. And there's a big difference between showing people information and it's another thing to welcome them in and say, I need you. And that's what I was doing in this moment that I found not just a me too moment, but a I'm with you and what can we do for you? And we're going to pray with you. And yes, the scripture says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. But uh, this passage of scripture, this entire book, all of the New Testament is written to a people that I believe would be a bit baffled by our individualistic way of reading the scriptures and understanding the Christian life. Because it was never a me life. It, it, when we have an experience with God, when we offer our lives to God, it is so personal. But our walk with Jesus is never private. We walk with God, with others. And what I started to experience in this moment was strength from others as we walk together. We were never meant to live life alone. We weren't designed that way. And so we lean in. And I cannot be more grateful for guys like Glenn and some of my other friends that have walked and I have had the privilege of walking with as they navigate different things. That we can mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. That we grieve with and carry each other's burdens. Because I needed somebody else to help me carry my burdens. And that started to make a difference, and we started to make some. But I wasn't still out of the pit. By this time, after maybe a year, year and a half, I, I felt like the cloud wasn't right here. It was kind of like right here. And every now and then it would come and settle, but I was getting more good nights of good sleep. The worry was, was 
dissipating a bit or moving off a, a bit. And there would be seasons where it would be tough and then be seasons where it would be easier. And I thought, okay, this is better. Thank God for this. But I don't think it's the way that it's supposed to be. And I, over the years, have just continued to bring it to the Lord Last last summer, I went on a, I had a, took a sabbatical and was so grateful for the time away. And one of the things that it provides is extra space. And the space of work was gone, or the, the work, that, the, the things that work would take up in my heart, my mind was gone. And it provided additional space for God to do something and, and, and something else to take that space. One of the things that I would do every morning is I would sit in this little gray chair in our living room, and I'd read my Bible, and I'd spend, you know, I didn't have an appointment to get to. It was just amazing to have all, have this space with God. And I would sit uh, and meditate on this one passage of Scripture, and it's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, beginning of Jesus's ministry. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw from heaven saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And I started to meditate on that particular passage of Scripture. Now, I think oftentimes when we read the Scripture, especially if you're familiar with the Scripture, we read Scriptures like that and others a bit just like, Okay, this is my Son in whom I love. I'm well pleased. Great. I don't think it was like that. Or it's a little robotic. This is my Son. Love him. Well pleased. I think that more it was like a dad. That's my boy. Oh, I love him. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I think there was this like, I think heaven burst open because God's heart of love and delight for his son burst open the clouds. And I thought, okay, I need to meditate on that. Because, because the scripture in Philippians 4, verse 7, 6, excuse me, says, bring your requests and your concerns to God. Well, who's God? Is he like this just automaton? Is he? No, he's a father. It says that in Matthew 6, don't worry about this because your father is taken. He cares for you. And I thought, I wonder if somehow my singing and bringing and praying and all of this is to, uh, what if I shifted somehow this perspective on who I'm bringing it to? And so here I was sitting, and I, I would sit in silence with God, and I, I wasn't here to bring my requests in terms of, I need to tell you about this, and I want to pray about this, and I want to pray over my family, and, you know, ask you for this. And, and I also wasn't like, okay, God, can you give me an answer for this, or what do you have to say, except for this one thing, and that was, God, I want to experience what you, what you said to Jesus. My son, oh, I love you. I'm so delighted with you. I just delight in you. Not because of anything you've done or any way that you failed or any way you succeeded. I just, I'm just crazy about you. Just crazy about you. And I realized this summer, this has been a seven and a half year journey. I realized this summer that one of the things that was drawing the cloud for me was pressure. That I would go to bed on a pillow of pressure. And we have pressure things in our lives. We have responsibility. But there are times when that responsibility gets a bit overwhelming and it starts to be a pressure that starts to, to push some things. 
And it was in those seasons that I found myself going to sleep on a pillow of pressure. And it was the pressure that was adding to the worry. But it was over this summer that I realized I don't want to sleep on a pillow of pressure. I think that as a son of God, we're supposed to sleep on a pillow of pleasure. To, and it doesn't mean that the pressure goes away. Because Jesus, right after this, after experiencing the pleasure of his father, goes into and is sent into the wilderness. Pressure. He moves into pressure fueled by the pleasure of his father. So what if in whatever your pressure is, parenting, that's some serious pressure. Leading a company, pressure. School, grades, maybe your boss is pressure. What if moving into those environments, you weren't fueled by pressure, you were fueled by pleasure? That somehow we can say, I want to be a person that says, I'm delighted in, and I got responsibilities. But it's not pressure that fuels me, but pleasure. See, there's one other time in the Gospels where Jesus hears this from his Father again. And it's on the Mount of Transfiguration. God says to his Son, this is my Son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. And where's he going next? The cross. Pleasure before pressure. I wonder sometimes we see Jesus slipping away. We don't have the recordings in the scriptures of what God might have said to him in those moments. But I wonder if God was just reigniting and reminding him of the pleasure that was to fuel his life and ministry. I started to not only, and this is the thing. I've always known this here. God loves me. But what started to happen in me over the summer was that I started to know it here. Now, I have four boys, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith, and Associates. It's a law firm we're working <laughs> towards where we're going. And anyway, I have one boy in particular that um, provides lots and lots of opportunities for instruction. <laughs> and it's pretty constant. From the moment he walks in, he's not putting his backpack where he's supposed to, and he's leaving his shoes in the middle of the hallway and at the dinner table opening, uh, you know, uh, uh, chewing his mouth open, and, you know, he's doing this, and he's aggravating his brothers, and he's doing that, and he's talking this way. And, and I realized as I was trying to experience the delight of God that in this moment I'm thinking, what, how am I fueling my son? And so after this summer, after experiencing and walking through this myself, which, by the way, the cloud starts to move. And I started saying, I'm going to meet my son with pleasure, not pressure. And there was tension in our relationship. Troubling as a parent when you feel like you're at odds on a very, very regular basis with your child. And I started to meet him with, oh, it is so good to see you. As I overlook four things that I would like to correct. <laughs> It is so good to see you. How are you? Ah, I've missed you today. 
Oh, good to see you. Give him a hug. All of this. And we'll get to those things. It doesn't mean that we don't have instruction. But did you know that in the last two months, our relationship has been transformed? There is an enjoyment of one another. And do you know that the number of things that need instructing have actually gone down? Not because somehow I got better at instructing. I think it's because he got fueled by pleasure. I want to do this. And so my hope and my dream for each one of us is that we would come to a place where we are fueled in life by the pleasure of the Father. And moving into pressure, but it doesn't dominate our hearts and our lives. So we can honestly and authentically say, I'm not anxious. I have concerns, and they come towards me, and I could be bogged down and buried by them, but I turn towards a loving Father who delights in me and says, hey, bring me those fears. Bring me everything that you're afraid of. And out of that, it's not like, oh, I cannot believe you're struggling with that. That is not a big deal. No, no, no. Oh, I delight in you. And look what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Which is so beautiful and so possible. And it also reminds me that at the end of the day, I'm not the fear fighter. God is. God's the fear fighter. And the scripture says that it is perfect love that casts out fear. And so we have this modeled in the life of Jesus. He comes to the garden and pours out his concerns. I don't know if I can do this, God. He pours out his concerns to his father. And we also have Jesus expressing true love to us to show what it looks like to overcome every enemy, including fear, in our lives. So I want us to just close, and I want us to take a moment, if you would. I don't know where you are here this morning. I don't know what your journey of anxiousness or worry is like, and maybe, maybe you're like me, and you, you don't worry about much of anything. But I just want us for a moment to do a couple of things. If we can have just a moment of personal reflection, and the first one is maybe there are some things that you need to offer up to God that you would offer up to him and say, God, I'm, I'm afraid. To an honest confession, bring it before him and say, I, I'm trying to carry this, I'm trying to bootstrap it. I just need to offer this to you. And I don't want to just offer my anxiousness. I want to name the fears that are driving that anxiousness. And I just want to offer it to you. So would you in this moment identify those things, offer it to God. And for all of us at the same time, my prayer is that each one of us also experience the delight of God. That you would know that God says to you, that's my boy, that's my girl, oh, I love you, I am so proud of you. 
Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't gone in and resisted the devil. He had been faithful. But in terms of performance, he hadn't done anything. God says to him, I delight in you because you're my son. He would say the same thing to you. My prayer is that you don't hear my voice, but you hear the voice of a loving, amazing father that is full of delight and bursts open the heavens to say to you, you're my son, my daughter. I can't, I am crazy in love with you. I'm so proud of you. And so father, we open our hearts and our lives before you. And I pray that you would help us to receive this, not just as a mental ascent, but as a a receiving in our hearts, a receiving of the true, full expression of the love of God into us. That it would be true of each one of us, that we would not be anxious about anything. We would instead pray about everything, offering everything that we have to you, a loving Father who brings our delight, that we might be people who lead not from places of pressure, but we might be motivated and fueled by the pleasure of a loving Father. This we pray in the powerful, death-defeating, fear-dispersing name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. And let's thank God for that word.